and we're live. Da- cool, is, now, I'm going to butcher the first thing. Is it Davidus or D- Diavidus? Actually, I had this um, conversation with Chris, and uh, like I'm, I'm lead, leaning towards calling myself David D'Amico. Okay. Because like, literally, er, like la- for the last few weeks, I've been speak- speaking with lots of uh, like agencies and like mm. content creators and so on, and everyone asked me the same question. So I'm starting to think like, is it memorable? Or is it that they'll, no, no one will remember because it's like so difficult? I don't know. Man. I would keep it. So with, with Pure Lay, that's one of the also, it's kind of a topic, like a conversation starter, right? Like with, with Pure Lay, that's always one of the initial things that we talk about is like, how's it spelled? How's it, you know, how do you say it? Oh, it's not Pure lie. It's not two words, you know, and then, and then you kind of dive into an easy conversation. I like, so, yeah. but how, how do you pronounce it? It's Davidus. Davidus. Okay. That's easy. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So, David, it's just give me, I guess for the listeners, just give give us a little bit of a rundown of, you know, what you do and who you are. Yeah, so uh, I'm a digital marketer, I could say. And, uh, yeah, like kind of entrepreneurial, too. Uh, we run with my girlfriend and like lots of many other people. Um, we are running a, an agency with 35 plus employees, I believe. Uh, we are shareholders of a skincare brand that is on on a track to do 30 million this year. And uh, uh, we, like, I don't know, we this month, I think we're going to spend 3 million on that. So this is going to be the, the best month ever for us. And okay. that's because of the virus and people are just spending money on beauty products a lot. So cool. uh, yeah, that's what we do. So we'll and, just, uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, please keep going. Um, no. So I, I basically, I started as, um, I don't know. Do you want to know my full story or? Dude, that's great. Whatever you're interested in telling me. <laughs> yeah, great. so I started actually my career as a performance analyst, like football performance analyst, soccer performance analyst. And uh, yeah, I got, I, I achieved really like quite a bit by the age of 23 or so. But I saw that the place I'm going towards, which was a coach, you know, like I started to, I wanted to be a performance analyst so that I could become a coach one day. And I thought that this is a shortcut to my career. But once I got into that space, I was like, nope, I really don't want to be spending another 10 years of my lifetime, you know, not earning much money and uh, doing something that I kind of enjoy, kind of like, but I mean, it's just too much dependent. So I started and doing Facebook ads for how, e-commerce. I specialized in it. How old were and, you at that? How, how, and sorry to interrupt. How old were you at that time? I think I was 23 or 24. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, like I had actually 18 jobs by that time. Wow, 18 <laughs> but, uh, jobs? Yeah, walk yeah, me, I tried I tried many things. Walk me through the highlights. What was the best and what was the worst other than performance? Uh, basically, the worst one, I don't know, like the strangest one was at McDonald's. So okay. I had, like I was studying at the, like at the university in the Netherlands. Oh, and, where in the uh, Netherlands? Uh, the Hague. The okay, Hague. up it's in the Hague. Like, nice. Yeah, f- forty-five minutes maybe to Amsterdam. So, um, so I worked down there. I had to work basically eight hours so I could get uh, like a student grant. Um, so I would go to Amsterdam actually every Sunday, you know, to work for eight hours. And then I figured out after two times that I went there, I hated that place. <laughs> but I still like. I went there two times and I thought like there has to be another way. So I figured out that I can actually open up a company in the Netherlands and provide services, you know, like, so I made these services up like cleaning services for my student fellows, you know, 
and uh, basically I was doing that and I was getting grant out of it. So I'm kind of like uh, uh, always looking for shortcuts into into business and in life as well. So like, how many total shifts did you have at McDonald's? I think two or three actually. <laughs> Not many, not <laughs> many. After the third one, I think I said like, no, I have my own business. I'm not coming back here. <laughs> yeah, right. That's not, so you've lived, walk me through everywhere that you, it seems like you've lived all over the place. Yeah, I lived in the Netherlands. I lived in the UK. I lived in Spain for a bit. I traveled one year. I took uh, a year off and I traveled around the world, um, not around the world, but um, like around Europe. And I was learning languages, Spanish, German, Italian. Then I remember I went to China actually to, I was a football coach. Actually, they invited like a Chinese government invited me to be a football coach in China. So I went there for a few months, uh, tried tried it out. They suggested me to stay there for another two or three years, but I didn't enjoy it that much. So I came back and um, yeah, I came back to university, I think. And then I took one year off. And then in that one year off, I, I, tried many multiple things but mm. one of them was that one weekend actually i um came across this udemy website you know and i and i always thought you know and in, in football that's okay like it's it's so difficult to get into something decent like i meant i mean financially mm. um like even two three thousand dollars or something like that you know like it's years until you get to that level Jesus. and i thought like no this is like not good so i have to find something i have to learn something else outside outside of football and uh, i came across this website udemy and then i bought a course i believe for 10 bucks or 20 bucks and then i learned some drop shipping like okay. i just watched the videos and then i went back home and um yeah i tried it out with my friends and like within a week or two we actually uh, started earning not big money but like we earned 1000 in profits or something and then i didn't know what to do so i was panicking and like i haven't seen this much money coming out of this little work you know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in my life yeah. so i closed it down and um, then you i doubled down on it? my football efforts so, so you so um, you got into it you started making money and then you closed it because well, why did you close yeah, so, it? So the way I approach things, you know, is that I try it out. I see that some it's like minimum viable test, you yeah. know, for me. It was like a minimum viable test. I learned that okay, I have, I have, I know how to make money out of this, but now I need to figure out how to make it properly. Like, so I closed it, like, cause I didn't close it because I. I wanted to, but like I think we got into PayPal issues. Like PayPal mm. started asking some documents and stuff like I, I don't remember exactly what it was but yeah. we decided to close down like I, I didn't even know how to fulfill orders and they were coming like daily you know so it, it was a crazy time but after that I think I went to um, I got a job a dream job basically for in my football career okay and and then I met a football coach that was like kind of my ideal. And then I saw his life and day to day life. And then I I decided like I thought to myself like, no, this is not the day to day life that I want. Why? Because like you know we maybe what I was in love with is the the idea of myself like standing in front of yeah. the crowd, you know, people shouting when there was a goal or something like that, and being like proud of this moment and stuff. But what I didn't realize that there is this path, you know, and you have to love that kind of a lifestyle on day-to-day -day basis, not being loved in the, in the end result of it. 
Yeah. So I have so, I have a bro- So my older brother Alex, he played um, he played college basketball, and for a long time, I think you know that was his route was similar, right? But sports is one of those that's very interesting because I think that. I think it's an easy thing to like, it starts out when you start out playing sports, it's just all that you want to do, right? You get obsessed, but it's a game. It's just, it's just for fun, right? It's, it's just a pastime, but then there's something that switches. It seems like with athletes when it turns into a job where, where it's like, you know, there, there are times in every job that you hate, right? But like, that's a very unique concept to an athlete, like to actually hate something that you've loved for so long and has so long been something that gets you away from things that you hate, you know? Yeah, like there is a lot of sacrifice involved in 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 sports in general. I believe in professional sports, especially for sure, of course. So, so when I looked, you know, I I talked to that coach, and then I realized, like, wow, man, like you're working in this profession for whatever ten years. You're at the pinnacle. Like he was a coach actually of Lithuania national team. Oh wow! Um, like a, an assistant coach, you know. So is this in so Lithuania was, right now? Yeah, it was in Lithuania. So I I I. Like I basically looked up to this guy, and then and then we had a conversation, and then I realized, like, wow, you are at this position, you know, and you still are struggling financially, and then like you don't know when you're gonna lose your job mm-hmm. or whether you're gonna like whether your contract is gonna be extended for another year and so on, and I felt like, wow, in this position, you actually don't have any control over your life, you know, someone else is telling you whether you're gonna stay or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly what I experienced in a few months. So over that time, I earned um, an internship in a, in a Danish, Danish club, um, football club, as an analyst as well. When you say analyst, uh, is that are you in a field box? Are you a coach? Are you looking at numbers? Like what type of analyst? Are you um, so basically, you have to go over the matches and you have to tag all of the events and then look at the statistics. You know, like let's say uh, there were twenty shots to goal this this match. You mm-hmm. know, so. Uh, you look this up, you know, and then you you see yeah, and where did these shots come from and so on. So it was kind of um, um, not a very in-depth, uh, in-depth, um, I would say, profession. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't go very deep into data or anything like that. I, would ju- I was just tagging and then giving my suggestions from the from uh, my own perspective to the coach and mm-hmm. he, would, he would decide whether to implement it or not. So... That's what I was doing, and uh, and then I got a position actually in the Lithuania national team under twenty one coach, and I was uh, under wow. twenty one team, um, and actually that's another brilliant move of mine. Maybe I would say yeah. is that in football, like in in for example in American football, there are these coaches, you know, for each one of the positions. There are strikers, there are defenders, coach. As far as I know, um, mm-hmm. set pieces coach and like all of these different coaches for like a massive group of people. Cause like the, these players have totally different positions and like their requirements are totally different. So, so I thought about why isn't it not in soccer? So hmm. like it was a totally new concept. So I decided, okay, I gonna become a, a football coach, like a strikers coach. Basically I was thinking of, many ways where I can be the most valuable yeah. at. Uh, and strikers seem to be the position that like, clubs are paying a lot for, you know, mm-hmm. so they could be paying me as well a lot for mm. uh, if I trained uh, strikers so, really, really well. So before this 
from from at least from your perspective, they didn't really break up soccer anal- or football analysts, football coaches by discipline, like striker, goalie, no, defenseman. No. Interesting. Well, they did with the goalkeepers, you know. Right. So that's that's what I thought that is gonna. That's where I thought it it was going to go, and I already started seeing like some striker coaches some defender coaches popping up you know but mm. there were a few only like i could find only five i think in the whole world and i contacted all of them and asked them you know how to learn it and so on mm-hmm. um so at that time i went to live in madrid in spain because like in madrid in spain in four like in the whole city there are four or five uh, big teams football yeah. teams yeah. so every day i would go to um, look at their matches not their matches, but training sessions. And I would take notes, I would film it, you know. So, like, every day I would visit one or two training sessions, like, of a top, like, elite football team. Um, Teams that I would know or still a little bit lower? uh, I don't know, like, Getafe, um, Raya Vallecano. Honestly, it's a stupid question because I wouldn't know any of them. But are they they football (laughs) clubs that the average person in Europe would know? Yeah, like yeah. A, a football person would know. Like yeah. they are average Spanish football clubs, okay. but in the in the world, they're like I mean, they're well known in Europe, I believe. Okay. At okay, least cool. a few of them, at least. So I was doing that, and at the same time, I already knew Spanish, so I didn't want to study Spanish anymore. But I, at the same time, in Madrid, there was a massive um, kind of a library down there. Mm-hmm. So I went uh, into the that library after these morning football sessions. I would go to the library and I would read books, you know, about football because there were so many, so much more information in Spanish than in English or any other language. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. Spanish, I think, like Spanish football um, is a bit not more advanced, but they think about it through a lot more than English. Well, it used to be like five years ago. Now English are catching up. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing that, and at the same time, I was learning. Uh, I was learning German language, okay. so that so that I would be able to access even more data. You know, like more books and more videos that I could watch online and so on. That's why you were learning these languages, so that you could read more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could observe basically more information you know, from different countries and so on, okay. and it would give me a competitive advantage. So I thought that since this kind of a profession is uh, super competitive. So I needed to learn a lot more languages so that I would have more choices to work at, like more countries to work at. So let's just talk about languages for a second. How many languages do you speak? Um, I don't know. Now now it's free that I can sp- speak fluently. Before that, like a few years ago, it was five. But how, uh, how since I haven't spoken that? German and Italian for so long, it would take me one month to get back into it. But yeah, I would, I would be able to pretty to to have a decent conversation in a in a few weeks i believe so you went lithuanian to english spanish and then then i learned german and then i learned italian uh, in 11 days actually but since i was i knew spanish it was much what (laughs) you learned italian in 11 days yeah so i had this challenge like a challenge for myself you know to learn italian in one month and um, I started that challenge back in Lithuania. Like I came back out of like after all of these trips, I came back to Lithuania to study German. Then I learned German, and then I decided that okay, I need a new challenge, so I gonna learn Italian. 
So I booked the tickets to Italy, and like at that time, I already had these jobs, you know, um, at the, at the Lithuania national team mm-hmm. and the Danish football club, like um, Bronby IF. And uh, so basically, we had some days off of Lithuanian football, like because the cycles are every two months, so you would have to meet, the, like you would have to go into a camp every two months. So. And uh, Denmark, like Danish football club, I didn't have to be there to work. So I could re- work remotely. So that was my first experience working remotely. And um, so I took, like I, I said, okay, 30 days. I have 30 days to learn Italian. And I started doing it in my hometown where there was like, there were maybe five Italian people or no, not, no more. <laughs> so I, I, I invited all of them for uh, for a coffee, you know. So mm-hmm. I think two of them agreed. and. Uh, so your process was find Italian people, invite them to coffee. Yeah, well, in the beginning, I would just make a contact, you know, and then then we would make some like basically the way to learn languages quickly is to to do heavy lifting up front, mm-hmm. which means that in three or four five months, you know, you put in three four five hours of uh, learning, you know, every day, mm. uh, so that you could accelerate your learning and then you can you can maintain the language rather than actively learn it you know mm-hmm. you can you can be learning it passively like by listening and by watching videos and so on so um yeah i i decided to learn it in 30 days but i i started learning it and then i realized like how easy it is because it's like so similar to spanish mm-hmm. and then I, I booked a flight to rome and I want, like, I wanted to spend my entire month in Italy. So I went to Rome, um, lived with a few Italian people, and then my father called me because he's a football agent. So, he, like, he used to be at least. And um, so he asked me to have a meeting with these guys in 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 Rome. So I went to meet these guys. They don't speak any English. And imagine like an Italian um, gangster, like smoking a. <laughs> Thick cigar and uh, having like these sexy ass mm, assistants running around them (laughs) and uh, drinking whiskey or wine or whatever, you know. This is exactly what happened. And this was in the city center of Rome, like next to the city center. So so I meet these guys, you know, and I come to their office and I'm kind of scared, you know, because like I see that they're millionaires, like they're super rich people and they don't speak any English. And then they smoke these cigars, you know, and I'm like a kid, 23 years old. Or something. Right, right. <laughs> so I started speaking with in Italian and then like we spoke maybe for one hour or two hours. And then and then I realized like, man, I just had a business conversation after learning a language in 11 days. Christ, <laughs> so man. do you know what that sounds like to an American? Like we are. Yeah, so, I know. We are so set on one language here. We haven't. I can't even really comprehend how you did that. That's in. <laughs> So it went well. Or you at least spoke for an hour or two. Like, was it was yeah. it really difficult? Were you thinking? Were you you know? Were you translating in your head the entire time? I don't remember it. I don't recall it exactly. But it was it was difficult. I would say like it wasn't super difficult. Like I wasn't waiting for one minute until I put a sentence right. together. But it was like a pretty fluid conversation that you would expect from a person you know that that speaks Italian for ten days or something like that. So a question, random question for you that's always curious to me about like people that speak so many different languages or even just even just bilingual people. 
what language are do you dream in multiple languages uh no like i i actually dream and write and i do most of the stuff in english actually really okay interesting and uh yeah i think english for me is the most the most fluid language there is like that i've learned to express myself in even before lithuanian yeah yeah yeah, for sure like yeah for me like i i don't know like if you looked at my diaries i would always write in english my everything is in english like i can't imagine myself expressing properly in in lithuanian that's why so there is no you you said the netherlands earlier that's interesting so my my oma is from the netherlands so i i have a lot of dutch blood um and uh she actually can she would hate if i told a lot of people this but she actually can barely speak dutch anymore because she immigrated yeah. when she was 18 she's been here for so long the last time that she tried to speak dutch and i was i was with her she really struggled and i just thought how insane that must be right like you grew up speaking one language your entire life and then you get to the point where you can't even i can't even imagine not being able to speak in english anymore but that's the thing like you you would think that this person forgot it but like if you gave me like if we we tried to speak in german right now i, I wouldn't be able to tell you much but you give me one or two weeks it would mm. all come back it's like a like once you have it you have it but it's somewhere underneath you know you have to like dig it out from there so so, so for me i've i've thought about learning so obviously you, you know that I, I work for a german startup and I've, I've yeah. played with the idea a lot of, of learning german but even even some of the co-founders that i work for and some of the people that I work with, like they, you know, they, they say, don't, it's, it's just too much of a headache. It takes too long to learn. You, you would try for a long time and never be able to speak it. What do you think about that? Um, it's all about perception. You know, what, what is long for them? What is difficult for them? Like everyone told me the same thing, you know, but in four months I was able to complete the B2 level test. Uh, in in four months of uh, doing that and even my teacher didn't believe me but i told her like no it's actually possible if you if you know how to learn the languages and you know how to approach them and uh, it's much easier than people make it make it to be hmm. maybe it's pro- it's probably also i'm sure it's quite person person right you must have a mind for languages would it be or at least you put well, all i i learned russian for four years and i don't speak any words in it so Interesting. it's it's not about it's how you're learning the language. Mm. I'm I'm pretty sure about it because, like, I try to learn Russian without knowing how to learn it, and then four years later, I don't know. You know, like, I'm not confident speaking the language. But mm. I like the key here is to speak from the day one. Like, that's the only key. Mm. And um, like mm. with Spanish, for example, actually today I was writing about it because, like, I wanted. I'm writing actually an article how to be earning six figures in uh, in uh, yearly re- like income for yourself mm-hmm. as a freelancer or as a specialist or whatever you know. So actually, that's one of the key principles that I found is that learning how to learn. You know, this is the mm-hmm. this has to come before the actual learning of this specific skill. Because if you know how to learn a particular skill five times faster, you can be acquiring skills like every month you know like one new skill boom 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 and that's how i was doing it with the languages that's because i knew how to learn the language i was able to do it much quicker than other people so yeah my suggestion is to start with understanding how the language can be learned much quicker than rather than 
uh, listening to the even to the schools. Like I don't believe that they know shit about learning. Well, um, no, I, I would agree with that. And it's funny. I think that I've been reflecting on this as well. So I just recently moved to uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, this is a, this is an area where everybody is obsessed with all things outside. Everybody just loves being outside here. It's really refreshing. It's great. It's actually the state in the United States with the lowest percent of body fat per population. Okay. Um, so it's very, very outdoors. I mean, there's, there's traffic to go up to the mountains on the weekends. Right. Nice. That's, that's how much people love it. So, but so since I moved here, I've picked up rock climbing and uh, that intentionally just to learn a new thing. Right. I had no idea if I would enjoy it. I had a buddy who invited me one time and, and that's had me reflecting on, well, just moving here has had me reflecting on learning new things and the, the you know, the best way of doing it. And I think that the first step of learning a new skill or just anything new is you have to be okay looking like an absolute idiot. Period. Exactly. That's exactly. the first step. You have to you have to welcome that. Cause when you're I mean, when you're an adult, and that's the hardest thing for an adult, right? Is because you, you you get so comfortable, you get so comfortable doing what you what you know how to do. And and you get so comfortable in your own little house and your own little kingdom, and then you never learn anything new and nothing's ever difficult. But if you can actually get outside of that, like I mean, <laughs> I still look terrible when I rock climb. And, and, and I look at kids that do a hell of a lot better than I do when I rock climb, like young kids that have been doing this for a while now. And I'm asking, and I'm sitting there and what I've actually started doing, I'm asking them for advice, which is just a hilarious image to me. But I mean, I think that languages are the same way. I think that one of the reasons that Americans struggle so much to learn a language, well, first off is exposure, right? But, yeah. but then second is I would be terrified to try and speak a different language to someone that I know that I'm probably not going to understand their response. Yeah. It's like, it's the acceptance of yourself and the acceptance that you're not perfect. You know, like how can you be perfect from like day one, like with your own language. And for example, that's, that's what I struggle understanding with other people that I work with as well. Sometimes I give them feedback, you know, daily, like you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you know, like, but the reason why I do that is not um, attacking them personally, that you are shit, like you mm. don't understand how to do these things, you know, it must be so simple. No, because like with language learning, for example, I told each one of the people that I spoke with from the day one, you tell me every mistake that I make, right? Because how else will I improve? Like right. I will not know that I'm making a mistake, so I'll be repeating, repeating it, and with my smile on, you know, and like not realizing that yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't understand anything about it. So one of the things that I, I've I've really held from that my my dad taught me is uh, be tough, be tough on the issues and easy on the people. Yeah, like what I like. Um, one of my greatest sexual inspirations is like Jim Ron. Mm -hmm. Like he's um. Do you know him? I, I know, I've heard the name before. I don't know who he is though. Who is he? He, he is like a mentor to Tony Robbins. Okay. And and for me, he was the biggest like self help guru. You know that has helped me mm. to realize all that. Um, and he was saying that at, don't attack the person, but attack the issue. Mm -hmm. Like. Don't be personal with the issue, but tell him what you are observing, actually. Well, and so. it's also it's, – it's, it goes both ways, right? Like I, I hope I, – when I enter – when I throw something out there, like lately I've been working a lot in attribution. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm working yeah. with a lot of people that ha are working with this topic for the first time. And it's a really cool group of people because everybody throw, kind of posits something. Everybody throws something out there that, that they think is the way that something should work. And then everybody else, our goal is just to rip it apart. 
That's the fastest way to make progress in a project like this is just to everybody sure. be, be looking, be aiming to tear everything apart. Obviously still be easy on the people, but like if you get married to your ideas, you're going to live in a fairy tale. Yeah. That's cool. There, there has to be some kind of a feedback mechanism, you know, built out into it. So, so let's, let's keep going with the story. Um, so you were soccer in, in Lithuania or no, you were, well, where was that? I, I was, I was already in Italy, like with these businessmen and, uh, so I was traveling. I was. I actually dropped uh, learning Italian because I. I just didn't want to learn it. Like I was speaking on on daily basis, so I stopped my of, like kind of official learning. You know, sitting in front of the laptop and like um, not memorizing, but I would play games and so on. So I stopped doing that, and I went to Florence. And in Florence, uh, one day I met this beautiful Brazilian woman. And uh, we just had a chat, you know, in the, in the evening. Uh, we, we actually lived in a church. So there was a hostel or hotel in a church. And we stayed down there. And we had a chat and I went to bed. And then I opened up, op- opened up my, um, my browser, basically, and started, you know, looking into football news. And then I read in one news that the football coach that I was working for was fired. Or he quit, basically. Okay. And I was like, whoa. So that means I don't have work anymore. And I got to know it through the news. That's kind of like wow. sad. <laughs> yeah. How, how long did that and, happen before you before you found out? Like the same day, because like I usually look at the football news on a daily basis. This is one of the one of my flaws, basically. Okay. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. Still? But, yeah. Still, wow. Still. Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, so like I figured out that I don't have any income anymore left, you know. So I was like, shit, this is like this is not the life that I actually want to live. Mm. Um, so I was still traveling for another few weeks, and then I had to go back to the UK because like I had to finish my university for one year. Like th- there still was one year to uh, to finish at my university. And I came back, I, uh, I went to, to work at the language school, but I knew back then that shit, this, like I have to change something with my life because I don't want to be living in this kind of, uh, like not knowing what is gonna, like what kind of possibilities will mm-hmm. open up and be dependent on other people so much. So I remember, you know, dropshipping, like, oh shit, like I, I know how to do it. Well, at least I, I learned a bit of it, but what if I really got to know it? Like, what if I studied it in and out and maybe then I would be able to make enough money, you know, to at least be traveling and fulfilling my dream of traveling the world for mm-hmm. like years and not coming back to Lithuania and all of these things. And, um, and yeah, so I started like buying courses on Udemy. I actually bought a Ty Lopez course on social media marketing agency, maybe, or something like that. And it was mostly about local business advertising, like social media marketing. And then I was going through the books like crazy. I made so many goals, like, cause I knew how to learn it. Right. So mm-hmm. I knew how to, I knew how to learn the languages. So I applied the same exact principles to the, to the, to learning a new profession, basically. Cause I was, I was training to be a sports scientist, and uh, so I, I made a I made a list of maybe twenty books or so that I would read in three months. I, I made a list of podcasts that I would listen to, 
I made a list of courses that I'm going to watch and like all of these things. And for three months, I was working at the language school, maybe from eight to 12 hours. But in the meantime, I was cramming through the material like crazy, you know, because I wanted to get out of this situation so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever I would walk, you know, to work or whenever I would be on the bus, I would listen to podcast courses. Uh, whenever I would like wake up, I would have 30 minutes to read before going to sleep. I would read again. And like if I had um, a day, like day off, then I would read all day. And I was doing these things for three months. And then actually before three months ended, I... I bought a one-way ticket to Colombia. I said, I don't know how we're going to get clients. I don't know what will happen. And wh- what is what? what? What year is this? 2018, I believe. Oh, okay. So 2018 recently. summer. Okay. Um, or was it 2017? I think it was 2018. Mm-hmm. So, so I bought a ticket to Colombia. And uh, I didn't know how I gonna make money enough money, you know, to survive down there. I maybe had six months worth of cash in my bank account, so I said, like, worst case scenario, I'm gonna come back to my parents and gonna build, like, I'm gonna start it all over again. So I went to Colombia, and actually, one month before coming to Colombia, I set a goal to uh, make at least 1.5k so that I would survive in Colombia, and uh, and. Going into the plane, I was earning, I think, 1.57K without knowing anything about this profession and working only two hours a day or something like that. So for me, it was like crazy, you know, like how can you learn a new profession, be earning this much money? Well, at least in Europe, you know, it's a it's a big money, um, like not and working like traveling around the world and right. working only a few hours a day and, and be earning decent salary. And even in Colombia, you know, it's like the money is so much, it takes you so much further than in the US or mm-hmm. in Europe. You yeah, know? of course. Yeah. So I went there and then for maybe seven or eight months, I was working as a freelancer and I would, uh, I would be uh, getting more clients. Uh, my salary would go up and so on, but things changed back, I think in 2000. 19 no so it was actually 2017 then i went to colombia so 2018 okay. i did uh, psychedelics for the first time uh, okay. in brazil okay and uh, what, that was a, an eye-opening experience and since then my life changed like took another turn and in, it has been a crazy crazy ride since then so in brazil is that mushrooms then or was that uh, it ayahuasca? was ayahuasca ayahuasca okay yeah talk so, to me about it Maybe three years ago before that, you know, I had one guy telling me like, hey, like I, I work, I, I'm working from uh, Colombia, Medellin, doing Amazon sales, whatever. I didn't know what it meant, you know, mm-hmm. FBA, I think, or whatever. And then uh, he he told me that he was in deep depression and only two things helped him out, like helped him to go out of it. Vipassana. Um, cool. And ayahuasca. What so was the I did first one? Vipassana straight after he Basana. told me that. What is Vipassana? Did you ask me what's uh, Vipassana? Yeah, what is that? I've never heard of that. It's a 10 day meditation retreat where ah. you, you are not allowed to speak, you are not allowed to. Um, to talk to like to talk to anyone even look at their eyes no phones allowed no write like you don't you cannot have any pens or uh writing material you know so you're mm-hmm. basically all on all on your own and you meditate around 12 to 14 hours Jesus. a day and then eat very little and 
basically a very interesting experience. Are you doing uh, ayahuasca during this process or is this so? No, no, no. So it's a different thing. Like Vipassana is um, like a meditation retreat, you know, no drugs involved. For, for how long again? Uh, 10 days. 10, 10 days. days. It depends. You can do 30 days, but I think for beginners, it's 10 days. And then if you want to go further, you can go for 30 day and 60 day, maybe even retreats. I've played a lot with the idea. I have, I have a friend who's a Buddhist and I've played a lot with the idea of doing like a, like a long silent retreat. Um, yeah, I've never done it. So, so what was your experience with it? On the day five, I think I started having these, like, basically for three or four days, I was like, I was getting annoyed at everything. Like, yeah, I, it was my first time meditating, basically, and I would have to do it like 12 hours a day or something. So it was crazy, and I couldn't sleep and so on. And then after five days, I believe, like around at 12 p.m., we would we would finish eating, like we would get salads or something, mm-hmm. and then we finished eating, and then I went to to sit next to my house. Basically, it was overlooking the mountains, and I, I and I sat down on the ground, and I was looking at, like looking around me, and then closed my eyes, and then something started to come. Like I don't know, I couldn't explain that um, experience, but it was like transcendental experience for for sure. And Complete, for one or two sober. minutes, I was like, wow, this is like, I'm getting enlightened or something like that, you know? <laughs> and, and you were completely sober? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. And I, I couldn't explain it. And then I was so happy about it. And and one of the teachings that they were doing during this meditation, like I, every, every day they would have a TV on, like after all of the meditations, and they would like the teacher would explain, you know, things, what, what, what you were learning that day and so on. So one of the teachings of his was don't don't be happy when it's like when something starts happening, like don't get attached to the idea, as you said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it happened and I was so happy. I was like, wow, I'm getting enlightened and all <laughs> of that, like my life is going to change from now on and so on. And guess what happened? I got sick. You got like, sick. I got sick. I got sick. Like in one hour, I couldn't. I couldn't talk. Like even though we couldn't talk in general down there, I couldn't talk because my um, tonsils got swollen. Okay. So I couldn't do anything, and like you cannot talk to anyone to tell you that something is wrong with you, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Are you? So I you're not allowed to break that silence. Yeah, you're not allowed to, but. Uh, like at after five days, like when when we were allowed to, I realized that it was a virus that actually like like lots of people experienced it, and everyone oh, spoke to, to them, and they they went to the hospital. I, I didn't realize that like ten people went to the hospitals, like, and I was uh, sitting there oh silently oh <laughs> suffering through it. I couldn't Jesus. spit. I remember like it was so swollen that I couldn't move my throat, basically. I've never thought about the idea that during a silent retreat, everybody could get sick and nobody would say anything. Yeah, yeah that's a crazy part. <laughs> how many people? How many people were a part of this? Uh, one hundred, around one hundred. Oh around wow! Fifty women and fifty men, around that. That's maybe a lot 70, of people. Were they were they from all over the place? I guess you didn't get to talk to any of them. <laughs> uh, well, we spoke with them just before that, you know. So yeah. we met. I met some of them on the bus on the way to the to the like place, and then. We spoke just before that, and then I think at seven PM they started the like the silence. The silence started, so uh, we we got to exchange some ideas and like a few words with them before that. 
Interesting. So, so then, so after this, he took ayahuasca. Uh, so, well, after another three years, it took me another oh. three years to take ayahuasca. Okay. But wow. uh, I basically on the like on my trip in South America, I met this one guy who uh, who told me about ayahuasca that he was doing ayahuasca, not himself, but like he knew people who were doing ayahuasca. And then I read this book, and I was totally against drugs back then. I was like, no, really? I'm not into drugs. I've never taken drugs, and I'll never take drugs. And okay. I read this book called Flow, if I'm if I'm not wrong. Like, it's something about flow, states of flow. In that book, they said, you know, that Google is a, like, if you come with a CV to Google and you say that you use psychedelics, it's more likely that they're going to accept you to job. Really? And I was like, whoa, yeah. this is like, not only like, this is not truck maybe then like maybe it's mm. something different maybe it's mm. something better you know and then they would say that steve jobs was doing it so i was like kind of more open to it um and when i went to to brazil i went to peru before that i went to bolivia before that but in brazil it was the most reasonable one because um in brazil they do it on saturdays like you can go with the family down there you know take ayahuasca mm -hmm. um so it was like I didn't have to go to the jungle to spend there four days because I was still working, you know, with my clients. And back right. then it was a bit more work. Um, I mean, managing the accounts and so on. Yeah. So, yeah, I took it and then my whole life changed. Like uh, I I booked another one, like immediately after that, the next day I found another uh, another one in Rio de Janeiro. The mm -hmm. first one is was in Belo Horizonte uh, in, in the middle of Brazil or more towards the middle and then i took it in rio de janeiro then then i then i had my flight back to spain in a few days and then i convinced my parents to take it and then we really? took it in lithuania i found a shaman you yeah. convinced your parents to take ayahuasca yeah yeah so <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that's amazing okay yeah my my mother is super into spiritual spiritual stuff, and I didn't tell my father what it's gonna be. I said like you're gonna love it. <laughs> so I said like everything is paid, you know. Like it's a bit more to pay in Lithuania than it was in Brazil. In Brazil, mm -hmm. it was like ten dollars or something, so it's nothing. Okay. But in Lithuania, I paid like four hundred dollars each. Yeah, so yeah. wow. Um. So because like you have to get all of the plants, you know, from South America, and it's not legal, so mm -hmm. they are kind of risking. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we took it, and I and I still remember this picture of my father um, playing a drum, going around the like a middle of the of the dome wait, wait, <laughs> with wait, the wait, shaman wait. behind the shaman, you know. So. <laughs> what was he playing? A drum. <laughs> a drum. Oh, a drum. Okay, I thought you said a trumpet. I was like, where the fuck did you get a trumpet? Okay. okay. No, no. Like that shaman has like probably. 100 instruments or something just so, in case people were looking to get musical yeah so yeah, like okay. basically in the beginning you know he calls it a deep work you know so like going into your own like into yourself and mm -hmm. so on and then and then he would when when the like the most the toughest part maybe is over he would hand out like all of the instruments and even though you don't cool. know how to play it you know you, you are so sensitive that you get into the whole vibe of mm -hmm. the music you know so yeah that happens <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing man i mean i don't i guess it sounds like you have some pretty open-minded parents yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah they are definitely open-minded 
And I, I've always thought that it would be interesting to have that type of experience with someone that you were related to or someone that you were, you know, like your significant other or something like that. Um, but obviously I don't, it's, it, my parents are not quite as open to that idea, but that's what I bet that was, was there some really cool moments in there as well? Um, with them, like uh, for them, it wasn't, they, it, for them, they got scared, you know, like they didn't mm. know what to expect and mm. they got scared of it. But your first time doing it, I completely understand getting, getting, you know, quite scared. So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, like maybe I did, I didn't do a good job communicating. Like I told them that it's going to be like involved, like some drinking involved. And like, mm -hmm. I told them that you are seeing your past lives or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like I told them that you're getting kind of in that transcendental state, but they didn't know what the transcendental state was. Of Neither course. did I when I, well, when I, I mean, took it for the first time, you know, you can, it's, it's one of those things where I think that like a lot of people are really scared of that state. And I think a lot of people like want to try to short circuit and kind of cheat and just get the description of it, but it's not something like that. Right. You can't yeah. just explain what it's like to anything, right? You can't explain what it's like to be drunk. And then people are like, oh, okay, I understand what it's like to be drunk now. You know, it's, it's completely unique. Not, not, not with psychedelics, nothing to do with it. Like you, you cannot simply no. explain it. Like I always tell them, like, I can, I can be telling you the stories like out of my, whatever, 20 plus trips that I've done in mm -hmm. the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot, I cannot, like all of them were different and totally different lessons that I was getting from them. So and right now, actually, um, like I have, like I have chances to do psychedelics, but mm -hmm. I'm not doing that anymore. Which like is, I do it, but very like rarely, mm, which is cool too. I mean, everybody's on their own journey, right? You don't have to be, yeah. you can, you can have times where you enjoy doing that kind of stuff and you can have times where you don't enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I think that one thing, like, I went through like I, you, you under you know this in the U.S. College is quite a crazy experience. You know, you go through like college, and it's all about partying and all about just just a crazy you know having that crazy experience. But I still I, I've I've really found value in sobriety a lot more than I used to. Yeah, yeah. That that's what actually uh, that's the first lesson that I learned. You know that before that I was part a party animal as well. Like mm. I would go out every every weekend because I would want to ex escape myself. Yeah. No, and that's what I it, still go ahead. I still want to up to this day. You know, like I still want to like during this coronavirus. Like I'm at home all the time. Yeah. I don't walk around much, and I'm like shit. Uh, like I hate myself. I hate myself. But then. Mm. After a while, you know, like, okay, I have to accept that this is the state I'm at, you know, and right. it's nothing wrong with me. It's like, it's yeah, normal. you just have so, to be good with yourself. Right. No, which is hard. I mean, well, and it's especially amplified during coronavirus times, right? Because it's not just being okay with yourself. It's being, it's funny because it's quite minor, like the, if you want to call it suffering for, for the average person that's not got coronavirus, it's quite minor, right? We sit in our, we sit in our air conditioned apartments watching Netflix. That's, that's not torture yeah. compared to, compared to the history of humanity. That's not torture. Right. I actually heard this really funny quote the other day. Uh, it said, uh, half the world's starving and the other half's on a diet. That, yeah. and, <laughs> and that's kind of how it is with, the, with this thing, you know, people, well, and there are people that are really suffering from it. Right. Like, I mean, my fiance is a nurse and she's really struggling with what oh, she, wow. which she actually crazy enough, man. So my fiance is, uh, this is her second week nursing. Yeah. So she went through all the schooling. It was a really, really hard schooling in the U.S. 
um, got, got, finally got her degree, finally got a, a job here in Denver, and then the coronavirus happens. And so she's, well, in, she's in the ICU as well. So she's actually dealing every day with coronavirus patients. Uh, she had a, actually, she had a 21-year-old – this is crazy. I, I heard this, and I thought it was actually quite scary. She had a 21-year-old um, healthy, no preexisting health conditions uh, died two days ago from the coronavirus. Wow. And you don't, you don't think about – you know, like for you and I, I'm sure, like at least I don't think about this as something that's a threat to me, right? Like I think about like my grandparents – business, the world, those kind of things. It's, it's quite scary for those, but I don't think of it as like, I'm so scared that I'm going to get the coronavirus. You know, I'm, I'm scared that it's going to, what, what the impact on the world's going to be. Um, but, but let's, let's revert a little bit. So you said that this psychedelic experience and this retreat really had a profound, had a profound impact on your outlook or what, what specifically did it have a profound and what was the impact? Mm. It's gonna sound maybe woo woo, you know, uh -huh. a bit woo woo, but <laughs> like I started manifesting things like super quickly. Mm. So, what I noticed, you remember I told you that I wrote down a goal that I'm gonna be earning 1.5k or something like yeah. that, uh, like before I go to Colombia. Mm -hmm. So, I kind of did it without knowing how the fuck to do social media marketing. I didn't have any idea, you know, before mm. when I wrote down that goal, and I didn't know any idea that I'll be able to travel the world for three years without worrying about and like financial status of mine mm -hmm. and without worrying that I'll have enough clients and so on. So after psychedelics, I could like, I could see it's manifesting. It's so much easier. Mm. <laughs> like I would have a goal. Okay. I'm going to make uh, whatever 4,000, you know, per month, boom, two months later, I'm there. Mm. Then, okay. I'm going to do this. Boom. I'm there. And then, like, all of these things started to, to grow and to, to come to me much, much quicker. And, uh, and then I attracted, basically, the, the way I see it is that I attracted, I attracted uh, uh, my girlfriend. And, mm -hmm. uh, like, she basically hired my friend who was, um, like, uh, we, we, we decided to join forces with a competitor of mine that basically take, like, have a bigger set up for us and like there were only two of us but we were still managing like okay budgets back then mm -hmm. like twenty thousand, thirty thousand, and we worked with brother balls if you know them yeah like yeah so we worked with them because like they went to play uh basketball in lithuania okay in a in a village of lithuania really? so it was <laughs> yeah okay it's funny experience anyhow um so but he got bored of it and I was like, okay, I actually want to explore this shamanic journey, you know, so I'm mm. going to go to the jungles and like, I'm going to, I'm going to travel, but I'm going to drop all of the clients because like I earned enough money to maybe travel for another two years, but without worrying that whether I'm going to have internet or not. And mm -hmm. so, so I was about to do that and I booked my, um, I booked a, um, kind of work away experience because like before that I used to travel with work away so I would um, I would go to like I would go to a house and I would help them whatever paint walls or paint uh, beds mm -hmm. they would give me a bed for that and yeah. they would give me food for that yeah 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 I did that in Europe too work for stay is what we called it yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so I booked an experience in Italian vineyard. I wanted to nice. know how to how to make wine, and then my friend, my colleague, you know, got hired by this by this girl uh, who's now my girlfriend and is a, an owner of this of our agency. 
and she she basically were she was getting so many leads that she couldn't she was freelancing and she was getting so many leads that she couldn't uh, serve them all mm-hmm. so she hired my friend and then and then at some point he she said like okay i need some more people you know to to automate maybe lead gen and stuff mm-hmm. and she hired me and then and then i thought like okay i'm going to work you know for a few months or something and then i'm going to go into into the jungle in the meantime i'm going to go to italy to make wine and so on but i grew like basically she came to me after two weeks, I, I was preparing like growth hacking. Like I was learning growth hacking back then because Facebook ads seemed to me super boring because I, I already knew how to do it. So I I basically bought a course from this growth hacker and then I watched lots of courses. I, I repeated the same process, lots of podcasts, like, every, like so learning a lot. When you say growth hacking, that's kind of a buzzword that a lot of people interpret differently. What, what does growth hacking mean to you? Like for me, uh, growth hacking is something like how to make, how to grow your company in the most efficient way cool. uh, possible in the shortest amount of time mm-hmm. possible. Okay. So, so I was doing that and like I was basically gathering all of the information, like I was gathering all of the tools that I have and like I was trying to build the whole funnel and think like how can we do that without any any paid media and with a, like a very limited budget, only uh, investing some of my time. And uh, I found maybe five hacks that growth hacked the shit out of the company. Like okay. we got so many leads in one month that we were like, we couldn't serve them again. And we had maybe five people to, to serve them. And then, and then I had to go back to Facebook ad buying because because we needed, you know, people for that, and that was pretty decent. At so, it. you don't you don't use any paid media to grow your business from an acquisition standpoint. No, no, we didn't. So, talk. What are your as an agency? What are your primary acquisition methods? I know you write a lot. Um, I'm sure that has to do with it. Yeah. So one of the like when I bought that course from my mentor, um, like he he was explaining how he grow hacked his personal branding. So he would like first of the like first thing was that he was writing uh, on every Sunday. He was writing four hours of content. Four hours. Like four hours. Wow. Like he would write content. So I applied that, you know, and I was writing under her name, but I as well figured out how to amplify that content. So I would write this one post, I would post it on my own social media, then I would post it on in our Facebook group. So Facebook group was one of the one of the acquisitions like channels. Then uh, because I enjoyed writing so much or rather than not enjoying, I was pretty good at it because I was writing at very quick speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, uh, even at the agency, I'm called Speedy Davidus. <laughs> Speedy Davidus. I, I love growth hacking, you know, so I love experimenting at a very, very fast pace. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing that and I, w- I connected some LinkedIn bots. We did cold, cold okay. email outreach. It didn't work out. Then okay. I wrote this, like I decided, okay, like no one is writing these long form articles that that would be the best in the industry. I'm going to try to write it. And it took me maybe two weeks to write it. And like, it's still generating us leads. Really? That was back in 2018 that I wrote it. What is the article? And, um, it was how to maybe 
I forgot how it's called. It's on <laughs> sugatan.io uh, website. Yeah, it's yeah. One million, Maybe one I'll... million templates. Okay, I'll I'll link it somewhere. But cool, good. Yeah, so I I wrote that down, and out of that we got so many leads, and actually the leads that we got out of that, I'm still working with them. And combined with them, this month we're gonna make around 10, 10 million plus in revenue wow. with three of them. And with one of them, I told you we got uh, we became shareholders. Right. So it attracted exactly the people that I wanted to work with, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was one of the growth hacks. It was not a growth hack because I still had to to put lots of time and effort. Right. Into. Of course. But. Um, yeah, that was one of the things that distinguished distinguished ourselves, and then positioned ourselves as a fourth leaders. You know, even though we were not like amazing at it, but we were spending around maybe one hundred k at that time mm-hmm. when when I wrote this article, and then yeah, and then well, we just uh, we grew massively since then. And to put a little bit like to, to add on here, I think a little bit. I think that when when I like growth hacking, you said you said that it was you know it still took a lot of work. To me, I think that growth hacking is 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 about working efficiently. But I also think that growth hacking is about working towards the right goal, right? Like like or and in the right way, right? Like I don't think that there is any short circuit for hard work and a lot of hard work, you know, but you can work a lot really hard on the wrong thing for a long time and get nowhere. But I think that growth hacking is working on the right thing, very hard in the right direction with the right people, all of those elements that are really difficult to understand how to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's how I approached it, you know, and that's how we approach it at the, at the agency. You know, we prioritize everything we do to make sure that we actually are focusing on the right things. Cause like there are hundreds of things that you can focus on so, and there will always be hundreds of things to be focusing right. on, but you have to carefully evaluate whether they're going to be building, like bringing you enough value to invest time into it. Well, um, so, and flash forward to today, what's the agency look like? So the agency right now, uh, I think I told you, like we are spending around three million per month and generating around ten million, twelve. Maybe we're gonna reach maybe twelve million this month uh, for our clients. Wow! Um, and we have thirty-five people working in-house, but like probably thirty-five in each company that we work with as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like becoming a massive, massive thing, and it's which I'm not sure if I gonna enjoy it that much. Cause like there is some, a lot of management involved in yeah. that. And I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, that's particularly, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun right now. I can, I can spend only two or three hours a day thinking about stuff yeah. and then I can outsource all of the execution to someone else. Cause I, we had key players, you know, for each one of the positions. So I enjoyed that, that thing that I can be focusing on high level things and thinking, you know, through what's the next step. And once I find that next, next step, I double down on my execution. So yeah. it's like all goes in phases. Well, and it's definitely, I think I've, I've seen that company. So when I started with Purelay, we were, I think we were around 25 people. Um, and now I think we're at 110 so yeah, it's, it's a crazy transition. And what you're saying is definitely true. You know, like you're going to have to go into much more of a management role, whether, I mean, and I think it's almost whether you like it or not at this point. Um, yeah. but also it's, it's different, you know, when you look at like 
the amount of time that you were spending with certain people and who you're spending a lot of time with now. You know, when I started, I was spending a ton of time with the co-founders talking about day-to-day business, talking about what we were going to do. And now it's very little time with the co-founders and and a lot more time with either people that are in just different areas of the company or it's it's just completely, it's a, it's, it's a very different thing. I will say that one thing that's very hard when you grow to that size is uh, maintaining solid lines of communication. Um, That's for sure. Communication becomes a very big issue and we are experiencing it now and we will be experiencing it in the future, I believe. And to have a well-oiled machine at this kind of number of people working mm -hmm. at the company, it's it's a challenge. Mm. It's a big challenge. So, so all remote. yeah, we are, we are trying to solve this issue as well. Well, obviously everybody's all remote right now, but you guys are all remote in general. Yeah. Like, with, yeah, like within an agency as well, but as well, one of our clients is remote. Like the, he has a, a, an entire team remote and he's building a massive, massive business. Like this month, we're going to do 5 million only with his brand. So, um, yeah, it's going to be like such a massive challenge, mm. but maybe it's going to be rewarding too. Mm. Well, I think this would be a, maybe a good spot to put a pin in. I'd love to come back in a little while and hear about how this month, month what's, what's that business? If you, or if you can't tell, that's fine. So. It's, it's beauty. It's beauty industry. Yeah. Oh, okay. This, I, I've, heard, I've heard a lot about this, this. I'd love to come back and maybe circle back here in a month and talk to you about how that, how that progression went. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy times right now. It's it it's super crazy times. Well, we are. Go ahead. It, it's just yeah. I I can't comprehend how quickly can a company grow. You know, and it's not like from one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand, but from making one point five million to five million. It's like only three x, but this three x is like three point five million. Well, <laughs> and that's one of the crazy things that I've reflected on with being such a heavy part of e-commerce businesses is they're scalable in a way that we haven't seen historically. E-commerce <laughs> businesses scale, I, I think, I have no frame of reference, I suppose, but faster than I believe any business in history. I mean it didn't like if you especially if you flash if you flat like look back, let's say fifty years, you had no chance of scaling at the level that we can scale today. I mean, there are companies like uh, Bird, the the scooter company that came that was in in Los Angeles. I believe they went zero to five hundred million in like eight months. <laughs> That's insane. I've never, I've looked at companies scale ex, what I've considered extremely quickly, and we've never even scratched that surface. And that I literally cannot comprehend how you can scale that fast and and maintain solid processes, infrastructure. I mean, like I have a friend who works at a. Uh, I have a friend, and this is just by default, but I have a friend who works at Zoom right now. And uh, Zoom went from, in the first two weeks of the coronavirus, I believe, went from 10 million users to 18 million users. Yeah. How can you support that? <laughs> like that's, well, first off, they offered it to everyone in China for free, actually, when the, when the coronavirus was primarily in China, which is an yeah. interesting move, right? It's like the, it's like the world's greatest free trial. Yeah. But I mean, it's amazing when you have a software, you know, like you can grow even quicker. Of course, because you don't actually necessarily need all of that much. Uh, yeah, capital. Yeah, capital to to put it back into the growth. That's that's the that's the biggest thing that I see with e-commerce. Like you have to, like you cannot grow too quickly unless you have um, like someone backing you up with lots of cash. Interesting. Otherwise, you'll just break. You know. So are you working with primarily bootstrapped or do you work with private equity or VC? Uh, bootstrapped. Yeah. 
which is an yeah, all, all of them bootstrapped. Yeah, me, me as well. I've never worked with anybody with VC money. I don't even, I don't even imagine. You know how, how would you work in that kind of a mind? Why would you take money to invest yeah. into this? Like, cause, like you can start it with your own five thousand or whatever. You know, well, right? I mean, <laughs> Purely started with five hundred euros. I mean, and also it scares me, the idea of taking somebody else's money. You know, I think when you get into entrepreneurship and startup culture and that kind of thing, and the word kind of gets out around what you're doing, or like you start talking to people about it and those kind of things, a lot of people come up to you and they say, hey, I've got, I've got $10,000 I could put towards, you know, we could, we could get into something I could put toward, and even that concept scares me because then yeah. it's not just my fuck up, right? Then I would have to go to someone and say, Hey, this didn't work, you know, like, which is frequent in, in, in this, you know, type of type of work setting. And then you get into the VC and it's even more aggressive than that, you know, where it's like they put they set growth projections for themselves that are terrifying sometimes. And they're married and tied to those growth projections. So even if it's not the right thing for the business, what are you going to tell the venture capital at the end of the at the end of the month? Right. I just I just can't imagine like. I remember Chris was asking me like maybe a year ago, she was married into this idea that tell me what do you think this business will be like in six months? And I would tell her, I don't know what it's going to be like next week. Right, like I have right. no idea. Sometimes you find an ad that just crushes it, you mm -hmm. know, and I've actually seen a pattern and maybe it's going to be an interesting for your um, interesting observation for your audience is that one ad can actually lift your business into another level oh. because that ad over the lifetime of its working like when it's there you know like it directly it can affect maybe 500k like it can generate you 500k and that's what i've seen with the best ads that we've produced so there's 500k a brand, there's a brand that i used to work with um i won't say the name but there's a brand that i used to work with it's quite big eight to nine figures of yearly revenue um like in between those two uh, yeah, and I used to work with them when I back when I worked with the agency, and I had this ad that I that I created. This was this was almost two years ago now, and it was killing it. Like it was the ad that like what you're talking about. You know, it was that ad, and it took us to the next level, and everybody was super excited. Pats on the back, handshakes, great job, sunshine, unicorns, or you know all that good stuff, and. Um, flash forward to now, I got into a little bit of consulting, you know, outside of business hours, just, just talking to people and helping them and looking at their ad accounts. And I got back in to work with this company and it is the same ad running today that is pushing <laughs> their account forward. And I was like, hold on, where are my royalties here? How do I, yeah. how do I get a, you know I mean? But it's amazing. The longevity of these simple ads that you might just have, you know, how many ads do you, when you're, when you're the primary builder for an agency, how many ads do you create on a daily basis? And the fact that that's what's so exciting about it, right, is the fact that one of those ads might be the ad that that generates hundreds of like what you're saying, half a million dollars of revenue. Yeah. And not only that, it generates you so many more new purchasers that will keep buying from exactly. you, plus emails and traffic exposure, mm. all of that nice stuff. And like and I've seen that we can find this ad every two or three months. So every two or three months. I'm calling them uh, kind of um, ran. Like, I forgot how I call them actually, actually but like uh, <laughs> it's like something that's a unicorn, you know, like unexpected, something completely unexpected. But once you have it, you know that oh shit, we're gonna go to another level. We're gonna have to hire yeah. another 15 people to handle all of that. We're gonna have to to buy a lot more inventory and so on. 
So it's fun times when, when we find that. And actually, during this uh, coronavirus right now, we're not finding the ads, but this mm-hmm. coronavirus is like a, it's like an ad because like it took a, our businesses like two, uh, like it's double, we doubled mm-hmm. revenues for each one of them that we are working with or not doubled one, one only increased their sales by 300k or something, but still it's a huge amount of money. You know, I think we're extremely, for, especially everyone. In, well, not everyone, but a lot of people in e-commerce were extremely fortunate with the situation that we're in. I have, <laughs> I have, I know of agencies that do lead gen or that do um, event-based marketing and they're suffering right now, right? Yeah. They can't, they can't keep the lights on. I mean, I saw, actually, it was crazy. You know Joe, uh, Joe Rose. I, I think you say Rose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw Joe reposted the other day uh, yeah. a, a Google Sheet. Did you see that? Yeah, oh, I did, God. I did. How thankful did that make you for your job? <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking of hiring these people no, too. I thought like, oh, wow. I had the same this... thought. I passed it along because I was like, I, damn, there's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of people with a lot of experience. You know, we had a... Recently in the company, we just hired a creative director, um, and he and he came into the company, and it's it's amazing, you know, because I think you're in the similar situation where you've had you've had I mean it seems like a ton of success in in, in digital marketing and really really like sc- scaling this company. It's some really cool things that you've done, but the experience. This is your first time doing it, right? Exactly. That's that's what I'm actually telling all of the founders that I'm working with. Like, okay, I managed to get you to twenty million plus, you know, Mark. But now I am really getting lost with all of the data points and all of the apps that are contradicting each other and mm-hmm. like interacting between each other. And I don't know how to do subscriptions. I don't know how to do that. So we either need to hire consultants, you know, to help me out or we have to do something because I cannot be learning so quickly with mm-hmm. the pace that business is growing, you know, because it's just impossible. Like, the like, last- uh, three years ago, I was a performance analyst looking at the football players, you know, <laughs> and now. This year, I'm going to, like, my me as a leader of the growth team, we're going to do 100 million. Like, where is that possible? Like, in which other industry is that possible? None, really. I mean, well, and it's the same for me. You know, three years ago, do you know what I was doing? No, no, I, was, I didn't. I was mowing grass. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was actually mowing grass saving to backpack Europe, you know? And I was... I was also doing some digital marketing on the side. It was tiny stuff and I didn't know what I was doing. I had, I had, it was, you know, just scratching the surface at, at digital marketing. But I mean, it's really just, it's amazing to see what can happen in three years. Right. And it's also exciting because what the hell is going to happen in three years, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 If we are learning, like actually with Facebook, you know, like what I'm seeing is that shit, I don't have to manage it that much. <laughs> All I have to do is have someone to create uh, creative testing for me and of my my main job is to find figure out how to get l- a lot more creatives <laughs> that's the yeah. only difference like between the one million at least that's what i saw one million and two million in well, monthly revenue but i think you can't um i think you can't downplay the significance of a solid like what you've learned Right. Like it's only like if you look into which I know you do on a a, a weekly basis, like if you look into you have these entrepreneurs, right, and you start talking to them and you start milking those leads and, 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 you know, getting that confidence. And then you finally you get access to an ad account. Right. And you look through the ad account and this is someone who's successful. Right. They have an ad account that's worth looking at. You know, they have they have some you, you believe that there's potential in this brand. Otherwise, you wouldn't be taking this opportunity. Right. And then you look into their ad account and you're like where is your fucking mind at right now? I can't, I can't even, <laughs> and it's fun and it's cool because they're not wrong. 
they're just thinking differently about it than you are. But like, they also most most entrepreneurs haven't had to create the process that you have. And that is a machine for testing for different that works across different brands that scales across different brands and verticals, all of that kind of stuff, right? I think that's a really valuable skill that I think I hope that I've learned and I know you have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you have to think of the whole processes and so on and how to outsource it as well and teach mm. someone to do it because otherwise like you, you will not be able to duplicate yourself. And as you know, at least we are not using any tools to upload all of the tests and so on because I haven't found any wow. actually good tools and they sometimes charge ridiculous amounts mm. for doing only like simple stuff. So I'd rather hire hire someone to do that to set well, up. And for me. I think that for me, the first, the first time that I, I taught someone digital marketing, like I taught someone Facebook ad buying, I was like, okay, I've got my process. I've got the way that I do things. I've got this ironed out super well. I write it down in a Google sheet that's super documented. That's step one, do this, two, do this, three, you know, et cetera. And <laughs> at the end of the time of teaching them, it's, or in the middle of it, I mean, you just have to be, you have to be patient. You have to be specific. You have to be process orientated. You have to, all of those things. And then to your point, bringing it full circle, if it takes you three months to teach them how to, how to buy media on Facebook, what's happened in that three, three months on Facebook, it's completely yeah. changed. No, it's definitely what's, I cannot like, for example, Chris was always telling me like, Hey, you're so good. You know, it's like, can you teach someone else? I'm, telling like her like i cannot teach you know that i wake up at 6 a.m i meditate mm. i then read and then i do wim hof and then i go into deep work for three hours and then i do wim hof and then i speak with five different entrepreneurs to get all of the ideas you know like it, there is no like you cannot teach that you right. cannot teach entrepreneurship like no. you have to learn it your, on your own that like you have to gather like you have to learn how to learn which is like the the first topic that we spoke about. Well, and that's, that's, I think the reason that you can't teach these kind of things, like bringing it back to what you were talking about, about the modern days, like the education system, you can teach someone the process of something that's very, uh, factory based, very process based. This is how you do, this is step one. This is what you do after, you know, this is what you do after step one, you, whatever, right. It's very process based. It's very factorial. It, it just makes, you know, it's, it's, uh, 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 algebraic, right? That stuff you can teach. But what you're talking about is, has taken you 20 years to learn. It's the thing that you've been doing for, you know, it's, it's, it's why entrepreneurs are all over the place all the time is because they do stuff in a completely unique way that makes no sense to anybody else, but it works. Yeah, exactly. It's very true. Well, all right, man, I've really appreciated. This has been perfect. I've, I've really enjoyed, uh, this episode. And I think we can put a pin in it here, but I'd love to continue this conversation in, in future episodes and just can continue to revert back to this. I've, it's been an awesome conversation. Come down to Mexico once this uh, is over. We're no. going to have a massive, massive place with Chris and we're going to have a podcast place and so on. It's going to no be beautiful. Lie, I have thought about coming down and visiting because you're not that far away from me, I don't think. Where are yeah, you in I know. Mexico? It's uh, in the southern uh, Mexico. It's Oaxaca. Oaxaca. So you're pretty far. You're pretty far south. I, I, yeah, yeah. Dude, I'll come down to Mexico. You come up to Denver. <clears throat> yeah, one day, one day. I, I'm going to have to look up where Denver is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the heart of the Rocky Mountains, man. We have 14,000-foot mountains all over the place, lots of snow, best snow skiing in the United States. I actually, now I remember, because yeah. the skincare, um, the, the brand that we are shareholders, that's um, the, the founders, they were telling me about Colorado it's, and the mountains over there. 
for the for the price of living, for the quality of living, everything considered. I mean, I've lived in a couple of different places in the U.S. I've lived in L.A., Kansas City, St. Louis. It's by I have there's no competition so far. So I will definitely come down and visit you. You and Chris need to come up and visit me as well. I think it'd be really cool. Okay, cool, cool for sure. We're All gonna right. do that. All right, Davidis. Cool. Thanks a lot, John. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.